All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, with regard to Chen's newsletter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list at the start of the next calendar quarter. He will be accepting new subscribers. Uh, go to J, uh, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, or Chen Lin's newsletter uh, as well to put your name on a waiting list for that. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to encourage you to continue sending along your questions to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And I would like to invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is jtaylormedia. I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources. Balmoral Resources, and a new sponsor today, Avino Silver and Gold Mines. Well, they've been sponsors to this show before, but it is a, a company that is doing very well, uh, making money, making a, a good profits, with uh, even in this depressed silver market. And they are also in the process of starting up uh, and actually expanding a small gold mine in British Columbia as well. But uh, David Wolfen will be on with me sometime in the near future to explain that company's uh, operations and, and clearly, once we get a turn in the gold and silver markets, companies like Avino Silver or those that are in production uh, should start to see dramatically higher profits and dramatically higher share prices. Well, here's a question for you. How long can the natural laws of economics be defied by the Keynesian economics uh, system without a hellish breakdown of society? Well, I would submit to you that there is virtually no difference between the economic theories of communist China now or the Soviet Union in, the, in its latter days from the policies being practiced now by the Federal Reserve Bank that is owned and operated by major super-rich banking families around the world. The U.S. and uh, other Western countries may speak a different language than the Chinese communist or the uh, Soviet communists of past, they may appear to be all about free markets, but when you examine the policies of central banks, there is nothing free market about them. Here's another question for you. If capitalism is about capital, then how can a capitalistic system survive if you do not allow the markets to determine what the price of capital should be? But disallowing the markets to price capital is exactly what the Federal Reserve Bank and other Western banks are doing all the time and doing it increasingly. And so our Federal Reserve and other central banks are, I would submit to you, 
in the process of destroying capitalism. In fact, the more they distort the capital markets by printing endless quantities, trillions and trillions of dollars, for example, it's much like a drug addict. The more they have to, uh, the more they ingest, uh, the more they have to ingest faster and faster. Well, that is certainly what's happening with the monetary systems around the world. Just look at any chart of the money supply, be it in the United States or around the world, especially the monetary reserves are growing exponentially. In fact, my inflation deflation watch, which I show to my subscribers every, almost every weekend, uh, is beginning to roll over very much, I think, the, much like because the monetary policies of the Fed and other central banks, and indeed going back even further to the Bank of Japan, are an absolute failure in terms of generating economic growth, true economic growth. And so we're seeing massive declines in energy and materials prices. Uh, and, uh, and I think we're starting to see a rollover in stock prices as well because the global economy is really not nearly as good as it's cracked up to be. Uh, and just because the equity markets are going up, it gives people a false sense of security. But much of that has to do with uh, easy money going in to buy uh, share buybacks and uh, money going into the hands of those who have access to it to speculate in the markets. But, uh, you know, I would say in no small part, the failure of our, of our monetary system, of our, of our economy uh, in our monetary system uh, is because our monetary system, unlike a gold-backed monetary system, is a debt-based system. In other words, money is manufactured, actually is manufactured by debt. You, if you have a gold-backed system, your monetary system is expanded when gold is, uh, is won from the ground, or silver in the case of a silver-backed system. So what is happening now, and it's very, very clear that money is growing exponentially. Not money, debt is growing exponentially. But income, incomes and real in economic growth, if it's growing at all, is growing in a very slow, linear basis. So the world, I would submit to you, is entering a bankruptcy like never seen in the history of man. But with the demolition of capitalism, then I think it's not surprising. It's certainly not surprising to me. Uh, the contention of our main guest today, Dr. Robert McHugh, who thinks that we are in for a stock market crash and a demolition of the Western world and a return to the Dark Ages, because after all, it was the freedom of capitalism that generated the greatest wealth for the West that the world has ever known or ever seen. It is indeed this hubris of the West, of the central bankers, that I think is leading a world to an out-of-control state. Neocon propaganda, for example, continues to, to push Putin and to charge him of all manner of wrongdoing, but we're never given any evidence to back it up. I would uh, really suggest that you go to J. Taylor Media, my website, J. Taylor Media, and listen to the discussion Daniel McAdams had with an ex-CIA operative on the topic of the downed airliner in the Ukraine. It is a totally fabricated story by the United States and NATO, aimed at confusion rather than clarity. I'm not saying who's right or wrong on this. I'm just saying that there is no facts to back up the contention, the propaganda that is put out there uh, by NATO. And so I think the world is indeed spinning out of control. So it is not hard for me to see how Dr. Robert McHugh may be right when he warns us of a stock market decline of such significance that it is likely to become a cataclysmic nation-changing event. 
In just a couple of minutes after our first break, I will be talking to Michael Oliver. Well, maybe Michael can settle me down a little bit. I hope he can. Michael is a very rational person who I think presents some of the best technical analysis that I, have, that I am privy to at all by any other technical analyst. I think he is certainly one of the best that I have ever seen. I feel comfortable with Michael because he not only gives me a good sense of the direction of markets, but he sort of keeps me up to date with the probability of that direction. It's sort of an ongoing feed, if you will, from his work, from his structural uh, momentum work that is very unique. Well, Michael does believe, perhaps he can calm me down a bit, but he does believe that we are at major turning points uh, in the markets, both for stocks and gold. So I think you're not going to want to miss what he has to say right after our first break. But before we take that break, Uh, and then listen to Michael's view, and then later Dr. McHugh's view from a technical perspective, let me say that there are so many fundamental reasons to turn bearish on stocks. I'd like to quote Bill Fleckenstein last evening uh, on CNBC. He said, and I quote, Now the market and the Fed are trapped, but they weren't so good in resurrecting the economy. Expectations are high, and bad news has been shrugged off. The Fed is now out of the equation. The market is on its own, and the averages are worse than it looks like, and I have a lot of targets. The markets are uniquely crash-prone. The setup is finally here. End of quote. Bill Fleckenstein yesterday on uh, Fast Money on CNBC. What is some of the evidence that the Fed and the global markets are failing? Well, I look at my inflation-deflation watch, and I see a collapse of key raw materials prices. The Rogers Material Fund, uh, as well as uh, the energy's prices and uh, copper, for example, are all in a bear market. There's evidence of a global turndown also seen in the decline in international trade. Container freight is at an all-time low. Evidence of a depression, uh, I think, in global trade, as we're seeing, uh, $4 trillion also has been pumped into the U.S. economy, and yet the number of people dropping out of the workforce continues to rise dramatically, even as wages continue to fall. So we're getting a lot of fluff from Wall Street. We're getting a lot of happy talk from the people that benefit from selling you shares of stock. But if you really look underneath the hood, things are not all that well. Well, I hope and pray that I'm wrong with my gloom and doom. But we have been here before. Uh, If your memory isn't too short, those of you who followed my work back in 2007, 2008, uh, and that of other like-minded Austrian economic thinkers know that we were calling for a bear market as the housing market was obviously reaching bubble territory. And earlier than that, many of us, David Tice, for example, a friend of mine, was calling for a bear market back in 2000 with the dot-com collapse and the dot-com bubble. It's the same movie played over and over again, and it's played over and over again because of the Keynesian economic policies, which are really communist light. And they are really given to us and uh, indoctrinated into the economic thinkers of all the universities. Everybody is being trained to think alike, not to think on their own, but all to think alike. And they are all in unison believing that we need to print more money, and that's the way to fix things. Well, as Ron Paul said in the past, if printing more money to generate economic growth were, uh, were the answer, then Zimbabwe would be leading the world in economic progress. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because coming up next, we will, might actually be getting some good news from Michael Oliver, 
some encouraging news. Perhaps uh, the world is not coming to an end. Uh, I'm hoping Michael will tell me that's the case and that I'm just a little bit delusional here on that score. Uh, but we do come have to go to break. When we come back, it will be with Michael Oliver, so don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have back with me once again Michael Oliver, who writes an excellent newsletter, and I would suggest that uh, those of you interested in his work go to olivermsa.com, Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R, M as in Mary, S as in Sam, A as in Albert.com. Go there to learn more about Michael's work. Uh, it is excellent work. I uh, look at it every day, and I really enjoy it. Uh, not only uh, Michael talks mostly here about uh, stocks and gold and precious metals and, and things that are nearest and dearest to our, our hearts, but he also, for example, put out a very interesting missive yesterday on Apple. Uh, Michael follows a lot of different markets, and he uh, makes this available uh, to subscribers at a reasonable price. It's certainly, uh, it's certainly not a free newsletter, but it's very reasonable. You don't have to be a billionaire to own it or to, uh, to subscribe to it. So go to OliverMSA.com and, and check out his work. One of the things that I really appreciate about Michael's work is that uh, I don't have to spend an awful lot of time with it. I can get it and get the sense of, of what he's saying uh, without having to digest, uh, you know, spend lots and lots of time with it. So that's, I think, one of the, uh, one of the things that makes it so valuable. Have a sense of which way the markets are going and whether uh, and your conviction either gets stronger or, or not as strong based on Michael's work on an ongoing basis. So it helps you sort of figure out how you should weight your portfolio, and that's what I really, uh, really appreciate about it, plus the fact that he's been uh, very right about a number of markets that I've been following anyway. So uh, welcome, Michael. It's really good to have you with me again today. Great to be back, Jay. Great to have you back. Now, Dr. McHugh, who will be following you on the show uh, today, believes that we've seen the highs in the Dow and the S&P 500. Uh, are you in agreement with that view, and if so, why? Yeah, I'd say there's a good chance that we've seen it. And uh, early in the year, S&P was at uh, 2059, closed out last year. I put out a report projecting that the high for this year would be 2130, which is 
pathetic, really, when you project it, because that's only 1.8% above last year's traded high, which uh-huh. is 2093. By the way, we're trading either side of 2093 today, which is to say the S&P is trading where it was nine months ago. But mm-hmm. the high that it reached in May, and again last month, was 2130. Uh-huh. So I'm satisfied that it won. It hit my resistance and can't seem to get through it. And that last run-up we just had was accompanied by a very sharp run-up in the NASDAQ 100, uh, which is, has some heavy weightings within it, like Apple, uh, but Google, uh, which had an explosion recently, and so forth. So a, lot of, a few symbols can really distort that index. So when it blasted to a new high, I was a bit surprised the S&P couldn't follow it, and it didn't. Ah. Uh, and now we've waffled back off, and you're trading in a 2090, 20, 2100 area. So, yeah, answer the question. I think that might have been the high of the year. 100% convinced? No. Uh, there's some numbers not far below today's lows that if we see, then I, my conviction level is about 100%. That was the high. Okay. All right. So highly likely, but not absolutely yeah. positive yet, I guess, is, is the way you would uh, sort of... All right. Well, back in January uh, 2000, your analysis of the structure of the markets caused you to say that the markets were in a topping process. Uh, but for the bears, it was very difficult to stick with it. I, I understand very well uh, how that is because you know when you've seen a market go in one direction for so long and then it just sort of puddles along and doesn't go anywhere uh, it's hard to believe that the opposite is going to happen um, why, why do you think though that that's, that's the case why is it so difficult for us to think outside the box I'm not sure but some of the major trends in stocks in particular and this is not just tops but also bottoms uh, tend to be pretty protracted arm wrestling processes and usually mm-hmm. involving three-quarters of a year, if not more. Uh, mm. The 2000 top, perfect example, the 2002 through 2003 low, another example, 2007, 2008 top, another. They're, they're all many months in there of, of, of where the action stays firm, let's say in an old uptrend, doesn't break down and gives you enough marginal new highs to tease you uh, into bullish confidence or to really intimidate the bears. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, every time you make a new high, they think it's going to leave the earth, and it doesn't. Um, what I look at, though, is not the price action, it's the momentum of price, and I've seen enough damage early in 2000. I saw enough constructive action in the summer and fall of 2002, these are prior to the actual turns, and enough damage in 2007, early 2008, to be fully convinced that those markets were topping or bottoming. I have the same conclusion right now about the S&P. I've seen enough damage rendered on very long-term momentum structures and and the the technicals I deal with, which are shown in the reports, uh, to be convinced that one should be short, but you should not be 100% short yet. So if you want to allocate X amount of dollars to a position uh, negative on the stock market, it should not be 100% positioned right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should enter in layers. Uh, there's no reason to jump in all in and and then you know cross your fingers. That mm-hmm. that's sometimes suicide. Uh, it's better to let the market pull you in via mm-hmm. its own indications, and mm-hmm. and that's what we try to do is provide a layered entry. For instance, long gold or a layered entry short stocks. So it's not an all or one button. No, it seems like a, a very wise, a very wise and, and non-impulsive way to play to to be involved in the markets. Uh, I know, as a person of impulse, many times uh, uh, it doesn't pay. It's it can be very, very hurtful. Uh, you, you think the markets have changed, and uh, that's your conviction. But the markets, as you say, especially during these uh, sort of inflection points. Uh, they're not really sharp inflection points, are they? It seems to take a long time, as you say, three-quarters of a year or so, because you have these countervailing forces, I guess, that are fighting each other, huh? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And central banks play a role as well, because especially near highs where they want to perpetuate the trend. Uh, and in particular, this time around, uh, <clears throat> their prime target has been equities to keep the equities priced upward. And so uh, they've done everything they can to keep this beast up here. And they've no doubt priced it uh, a couple standard deviations above where it otherwise would have been, even under the most ideal circumstances. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a big beast in the, in the making on the downside here because of the prior excesses. But it, again, like most of the tops or bottoms, it's a protracted process. And it'll wear you out if you... Uh, are too demanding about an actual pivot point that just, you know, you're instantly rich. You know, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Now, once the trend gets moving, that's a different story. Yeah, not to so, play the lottery, I guess, is what you're suggesting, because uh, the odds yeah. aren't very good. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really an interesting uh, it's really an interesting time, no question about it. But uh, Michael, it seems to me you're, what you're telling us is that they're, you know, as a technical analyst, you say, yeah, there is manipulation in the markets. The Federal Reserve is doing that, uh, doing it in spades, but ultimately, uh, ultimately, nature wins. Am I characterizing your your view on that? Yes, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, they, you try to manipulate a market with coercive force, and then the central banks have the power of coercive force. You can't resist them, basically. If, you know, they don't carry guns, but there's other methods involved. Uh, and they price something beyond what the market might otherwise price. It was a debt instrument or uh, equities, and this was a, this particular time around, equities were their target, and they succeeded. Uh, sometimes they target an asset category to price it upward, and the investor doesn't put the money where they thought the central bank thought the investor would put the money. Example would be in the late 70s when uh, we had a big stock market decline, and the market was laboring around, stock prices that is. We were in a recession, uh, and though not comparable to the current monetary policies, uh, still they tried to print their way out of that one, but the money went into commodities. Mm-hmm. Commodities had been depleted, were perceived as a value by the public, and the public took the money that was printed and put it in gold and oil and so forth and ran them up till 1980. So the Fed doesn't always get, they may print the money, but it doesn't always go where they want. And therefore, the assumption right now, I think, is that, oh, if we have a stock market wobble, they're going to come back in and print money, it'll go back up. I argue, yep. no. If they come back and print it, it's going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The investor will be will be uh, cured of his love of stocks, and he'll start looking around at something that's of more value, uh, less lofty. And I think that answer is going to be the commodity complex. Yeah, well, 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 certainly if they're printing money, and as I was just mentioning earlier in the first segment, that it hasn't worked in terms of generating economic growth anywhere like you might expect earlier uh, earlier when money was printed. Uh, and so we've had this this equity market that's been that has been on a tear since 2009 uh, and it's it seems to be in a topping process as you're saying on the other side of though one of those uh, monetary commodities I would say gold has been in the opposite direction your view if you've turned quite constructive I think on gold now comment a little bit on gold uh, um, and where you think that might be heading and how long are we gonna have to wait those of us bulls I don't think you have to wait too much longer I, I suspect gold is watching equities and I think it's an issue of not the fundamentals of gold being right or not. I mean, after all, here's a commodity that supply increases every year that man's on Earth. Yes. It's an unusual commodity, okay? Yes. <laughs> no commodity does that. Uh, and uh, so it's kind of hard to measure, so, quote, supply demand uh, when the supply is always bigger every year. Um, there are other issues involved, and I think it's the investor's asset uh, uh, preferences. And I think mm-hmm. if the equity preference fades, is threatened by reality, uh, that the assets will be moved. And I think one of the places they'll move is the gold market and commodities in general, but primarily gold and silver. Uh, one, they've been beaten up. Two, they've, got, they've been down a long time, 
four years. So they had both time and price to pay dues. So uh, you, can, you can perceive value there. The risk is largely gone from the trade. So even if you're not a gold bug and you just look at a chart, and if you're really objective about it, yeah, gold's been trickling lower, but you know, we're trading now at 7% below the low of the crash low of 2000, summer of 2013 in gold when it dropped to 1179. So it's two years later when we've lost 7%. Uh, people are moaning about it. That's not a disaster. That's the way some markets bottom. You know, they, they do 90% of their drop, and then they, they uh, slowly carve out their final lows. And I think that's what gold has been doing. And I think the key trigger to get it going up is probably get stocks going down. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, as uh, on the one hand, Michael, I look at the gold markets as a gold bull, a perpetual bull, I might add. Uh, not wisely so, but I am. And and when I look at the gold price uh, go below that 2013 low, I say, oh, here we go again. Here we go. It's never going to come back. But then on the other hand, your work sort of encourages me because I see your momentum charts and your structural chart, your structural momentum charts that are looking quite different a lot of times. And uh, certainly you showed that on the S&P 500. Uh, and, and so what is gold in the last minute or so that we have here? What are you seeing, though? You're, you're actually seeing some constructive movement, I guess, in the momentum of gold now. Is that right? I've, in the reports that are issued now, we are prescribing three new entry levels. Right now, I would be 25% long gold of whatever assets I wanted to put into it. 25% should already be committed. should have been committed a year or so ago. And just blase, just, just put mm-hmm. it on the major declines over. I've got layered entry points starting at about 1110. Uh-huh which is not very far above the market, that would be the next level. And that will change week by week, so you have to read the reports. Another one's at 1164 this month, mm-hmm. and the final level is at 1230 level uh, mm-hmm. any time this quarter. So I've got three more. So at that point, you go from 25, 50, 75 to 100% invested as the elevator starts to rise. Uh-huh. Uh, instead of just jumping all in here, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do it more casually. Yes, you might miss a little bit of the uh, from the bottom, but you have a safer position. Sure. Uh, and it's much the same way in reverse on the S&P. Well, it all makes an awful lot of sense to me, Michael, and I do appreciate your uh, almost daily missives, not every day on gold and silver and, and those uh, markets the closest uh, to me, but always, uh, you know, a couple, several times a week you put stuff out, and it's uh, very interesting and, as I say, very easy to follow, and you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. So I, I really want to suggest to my listeners, again, it's Oliver MSA, Oliver M as in Mary, S as in Sam, A as in Albert, dot com. Go there, learn more about Michael's work, and uh, it is now, it is available to uh, to investors, not uh, not just large corporate interest, as Michael used to sell his service to. Michael, I want to thank you very much for being with me, and I hope we can do it again next week. Great, Jay. Talk to you then. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're uh, going to go to break, but when we come back, Dr. Robert McHugh will be with me uh, to talk about his views on the markets, and he thinks we're in uh, for a bear market market. Uh, well, a bear market of all bear markets, essentially, I think, if I understand, Robert. Very important stuff, I think. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. McHugh. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Some things never go out of style. 
in the gold business for over 100 years. High-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again Robert McHugh. Dr. McHugh is the president and CEO of Mainline Investors. It was founded in 2003, provides a technical market uh, forecast, uh, largely uh, Elliott Wave, but he uses a whole lot of other tools as well. A very interesting product that he puts out. Uh, We just talked to Michael Oliver, who has his own proprietary system. And, And between the two of them, I would say that my two favorite technical analyst and uh, Dr. McHugh also uh, comments from time to time on uh, on fundamental issues but he's largely uh, approaches the market uh, at markets I should say many different markets from a technical point of view uh, and he provides an awful lot of information every day now you can uh, subscribe to his service and you'll get an executive summary um, that you can start with that so if you don't have time to really dig into all the the meat that he provides uh, you at least have a, a good idea of what uh, the overview is. And so that's what I do. Go to technicalindicatorindex.com, technicalindicatorindex.com. Uh, lots of very important uh, charts and information there, and I think really helpful in terms of gauging where we're at in the market at any given time. Uh, Dr. McHugh has also written a book that I think is a must-read uh, if you take a, a long-term view, actually perhaps a short-term view now, because this book was published uh, a few years ago, uh, I don't know, a couple of years back, but uh, 1913, or 2013, I should say, not 1913, that was the Federal Reserve, and those are the guys that have gotten us into all the trouble we're into, but 2013, but now 2015, and it looks for the world as though much of what Dr. McHugh talked about in the coming economic ice age uh, is in fact coming to pass so thank you very much for joining me today Robert it's always good to talk to you same here Jay it's always a pleasure always always a pleasure to talk to you even though a lot of the things you have to tell us are not necessarily uh, things that we want to hear I think of you in many ways like some of the Old Testament prophets that said things that had people throwing uh, stones and rocks at them but uh, but I think that's better to, to, to face the truth head on than to try to, uh, to duck away from it. In your July 27th missive, you said, and I quote, the top is in for the rally from 2009 and for the rally from 1987 and for the rally from the 1700s. A grand super cycle degree bear market is starting with the first leg wave one down of three uh, 
down, of three down. You have to really follow the Elliott waves to follow that uh, that argument. But uh, help us understand why you're. If I understand this now, you're you're really calling for a major decline. Uh, first of all, you know most people would say, okay, I could see maybe the top from 2009, the correction from 2009. Maybe we get a 10% correction, right? Uh, and and I think that you know a lot of mainstream people would be okay with that. They they don't like it, but they say okay, well you know that's normal. Um, what when do you when you talk about this correction from ni- from two thousand and nine? Uh, where do you think the market's going to go? Let's say that the market was correcting only to the excesses from two thousand nine. If that were all that were in store for us, where would we go? Where would we be headed in the near term? Well, if we were correcting uh, the 2009 rally, uh, a correction implies you're only taking down part of what we gained. So, uh, you know, people would probably put a bottom for a decline in the neighborhood of 14,000 on the Dow to 12,000 on the Dow. I I happen to think it's going to be a lot lower than that, but uh, that could be uh, an initial leg to what I see coming. Uh, if you're just correcting from 2009, but this thing's correcting a lot more than that. All right. So the same question: If we go to the 1987-2009 uh, excesses, uh, how far down would that take us? Maybe the second leg down. Well, that might take us to the 2008 bottom, which would take us around 6,600. 6, uh, but that that again is just taking us to where we were before, uh, and I think that. Uh, the, the coming decline is going to drop us further than that. I mean, the 1987 levels were at 2,500 before that crash, and they went down to like 1,600, 1,500. So, um, you know, I, I see this thing going all the way down there, dropping from 18,000 all the way down to 1,500 or even less at some point. Uh, not not overnight, not next month, but uh, over the next uh, five to seven years, yes, I do. 1,500. So now, now we're talking yeah. about the excesses. That t- would take us back to the excesses. You're talking about the excesses from 1700s. I mean, that's unfathomable yeah. to most people, Robert. Yeah, we're about to see something that's unfathomable. We're about to see something that's going to change the world as we know it. Uh, there's a pattern here, uh, and I mentioned in the book that you mentioned, uh, has showed eight instances of this pattern appearing in the last century. Uh, each time was followed by some sort of stock market crash and an economic collapse. But the problem with this one that we're watching now is it's, it's exponentially larger than any of the others. Uh, this this uh, megaphone top pattern I have dubbed it the Jaws of Death. Uh, started in 1987. This is over two decades long. Those other patterns were a couple of years to six months long. This is 25 to 30 years in development, and it's massive. And it implies that it's correcting a very, very long-term rally, and uh, and I've said it from the 1700s even, and uh, it, it implies a, a bear market of super super cycle degrees, grand super cycle degree. Uh, the the Great Depression of the 30s was just a super cycle degree. This is a grand super cycle degree bear market economic collapse that's about to come, and that's this pattern has a very high reliability, and it gives you good downside targets. Um, and and those targets are getting us down below uh, 1,500 on the Dow. By the end of it? By the end of it. And it could be could be a seven-year process, five-year process before you see the bottom. But yes. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that um, I, I think that's just it is hard to fathom, and most people can't get their head around that. I have trouble doing it. I think everybody has trouble doing it. Um, you know, we've talked to Robert Prechter on this show. I think he's he's there with you on that pretty much. Although I haven't spoken to him recently. Uh, Ian Gordon, who's been on this show in the past, has talked about a thousand dollar, a thousand Dow, and a four thousand dollar gold price. And I want to get to your views on gold. But before we do that. Uh, you, you. Uh, I mean, when you talk about grand super cycle, you're talking about that's an Elliott wave concept, isn't it? These these cycles. Yes, the the uh, the waves are labeled uh, in in smaller degrees and the next higher degree and the next larger degree, overlapping as a large umbrella the the smaller moves underneath them. And this is a gigantic bullish market that we've had since the 1700s, as measured by the United States stock market, and prior to that. Uh, the uh, you know you know the English uh, markets over there where they were tracking prices and so on. This has essentially been a uh, 300 400 year 300 year 400 year uh, rally in, in in our global economy. That's about to change according to uh, the Elliott wave pattern and uh, and other things that I track. Uh, there's going to be some major changes coming. You could argue, I, I guess, as a lot of us uh, Austrian thinkers do, uh, that the major bulk of that move from 1700 has come more recently since we went off the gold standard, since we started printing money, inf- almost infinite amounts of money. You think there's some validity to that argument? Yes, there's no question that the prices that we look at from where we're going to be falling uh, are inflated uh, because of the uh, over. Uh, the, the, the ridiculous printing of money and the uh, hyperinflation of our currency. So it's it's like a balloon that's been uh, blown up too too far too far too fast, and it's going to pop. You just mentioned that you look at other things besides Elliott Wave. I, I guess you know I think of you as primarily uh, an Elliott Wave guy. But when I look at all of the things that you put out there every day, you look at an awful lot of other. Uh, indicators, other tools too. Could you tell our listeners what some of the other technical tools are that you use? Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned one, uh, the megaphone draws of death pattern. It's a pattern. It's a picture. Uh, the, the stock market and, and other markets, are, they have a language, and they tell us where they're headed next uh, because they are the accumulation of all knowledge all over the world uh, from everybody. And it's a measure of the psychology, the group psychology of everyone at any particular point in time, and it can forecast when psychological mood is about to change. And, and it can actually give us, these patterns can give us uh, an idea of uh, reversals and how deep the, the, the ensuing reversal will be, how, much, uh, how long it will take for the reversals. So I really like patterns an awful lot in addition to the Elliott Wave uh, which is more of a, a, a wave counting type uh, uh, science. And then I love uh, cycles. Um, there are a lot of interesting cycles. I, I, I noticed a seven-year cycle going back to uh, the beginning of the last century, and then uh, as I was doing more research, I realized that there's actually a, that ties in with the uh, Jewish calendar in the uh, Shemitah years, mm-hmm. and that's biblical-based cycles. And uh, and then you uh, and you have uh, other different kinds of cycles. I know a lot of other guys spend a little more time on than I do, but uh, those are some cycles that I keep an eye on. Uh, seasonal things, you know, typical periods of time of the year when you expect to see rises and falls in, in certain you know markets that you're following. 
And then um, the other thing I like to look at are divergences between prices and indicators that I have that I watch. Uh, when you see the indicators are going in one direction and prices are going in the other, there's a good chance that the prices are about to change direction. That's a good early warning sign of a uh, probably a more smaller uh, move. You know, you're, you're looking at the smaller gyrations with those type of divergences than the major moves that we were talking about with the megaphone top pattern, that kind of thing. I would just mention uh, to the listeners that in the coming uh, coming economic ice age, Robert's book, uh, in chapter two, I believe it was chapter one, actually it talks that shows uh, a number of times that we've had since going back, I guess since the stock market crash of the 30s, uh, this megaphone uh, formation has preceded major crashes, hasn't it? In almost every case since uh, since the 1930s, is that right? Yeah, I, I counted eight of them uh, since uh, the beginning of the 1900s, um, and uh, I looked for and more, but those are the, the ones that really caught my eye, and and uh, I couldn't find really any others, and uh, they were they were preceding the 1929 cra- uh, 30s uh, depression and the 29 crash. It was there before the 87 crash. It was there before, well, going back even more, it was there before the uh, the, the problem in the 60s and 70s with our economy and the oil embargo and what that stock market did then. It was there before 9-11. It was there before uh, the 2008 crash that we just uh, saw uh, seven years ago. And it's, it's here again now. And the one that we have now encompasses uh, megaphones that were there in, the, in 2008 and in 2001. Mm. Uh, those were components, subcomponents of this larger one which is really interesting. They call that a fractal, and they were fractals of this larger degree uh, pattern. That's, mm-hmm. that's what makes this thing so ominous. It's just uh, oh. huge. Yeah. I kind of picture, uh, you know, seeing a, a, a little fish getting eaten by a little somewhat bigger fish being eaten by a major gigantic fish. Or So you have megaphones within megaphones is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good example you just gave. That's a, that's a good way to look now, at it. Uh, so most of the time, you know, at least you know, I look at your different indicators. Some are suggesting bullish, some are suggesting bearish. Uh, but what was it on July twenty seventh that caused you to say that basically to say this is it? We've seen the top. What 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 was it uh, that really caused you to uh, to make that call? The large scale megaphone top that draws a death from nineteen eighty seven. It uh, looked like the prices had just about reached the top. So we were looking for something that would be uh, more precise in identifying is the top in, and that meant we needed to focus on a smaller pattern. And we looked at, uh, we've been tracking a rising bearish wedge in the Dow Industrials since October of 2014. And uh, prices had been um, governed, the rallies and the declines, uh, by the upper and lower boundary of this convert, these two converging trend lines, which make up uh, a rising bearish wedge. And uh, what you look for is when prices break down below the bottom boundary, then you can have confidence that the rising wedge is in. And since that was the last significant pattern and the end of our Elliott wave counts uh, for the larger megaphone pattern, this was the, the final pattern we've been watching for the, for the green light that, okay, the, the grand super cycle bear market looks to be starting. And, in fact, that's the day the prices broke below the bottom boundary of that uh, rising wedge from October 2014. And uh, 
And so we have come out with a conclusion that uh, the odds are very high that the grand supercycle bear market is now officially underway. Another thing you talk about, uh, the Hindenburg Omen, um, and you talk about two of them being on the clock right now. Can you explain to our listeners what the significance of a Hindenburg Omen is, and can you talk a bit about the rationale behind it, why it might uh, be of significance? Yeah, um, a Hindenburg Omen is a set of market conditions that, when they occur, uh, you have to be on the alert uh, because it, it identifies a situation where the market is fra- stock market is fragile. It primarily focuses on new highs and new lows on the NYSE every day. And normally, a normal healthy bull market or rallying market, rising market, or any kind of healthy market could be falling, but it's healthy, is uh, when you have a predominance of either new highs or a predominance of new lows, but not both at the same time. If you have a lot of new highs, that's an indication that the market's in good shape, headed higher. If you have a lot of new lows, it's an indication that uh, the market's becoming oversold and it's about to reverse and you're going to have uh, another rally. But when you have both new highs and new lows above 2.2% of, of New York Stock Exchange issues traded on that day, and the 10-week, um, the 50-day uh, moving average is higher than it was 10 weeks earlier, and the McClellan oscillator is negative, which is an advanced decline line analysis. When you have these conditions all together, uh, that is an omen, a, a, a Hindenburg observation. When you get two observations in a 30-day period, that is an official Hindenburg omen. This omen has, a, has been present before every stock market crash over the last 35 years, and I define a crash as a decline of 15% except one small one a couple years ago uh, in the middle of the summer. We had a, a mini crash. But it's, it's there every time. So the point is, if you don't have a Hindenburg element on the clock, you're in pretty good shape. You don't have to fear a crash. But mm-hmm. it was there before the 9-11. It was there before the 1987 crash. It was there before the 2008 crash. And so it's like a necessary precondition for a crash. So if you're expecting a crash in the fall, but you don't have a Hindenburg element on the clock, then you're pretty safe, and there's a conflict of, of indicators, and, and there's less certainty about the coming event. But this is like a confirming of other work that, that we have that says watch out for prices this fall because it's now on the clock. In fact, we have two of them. They have a four-month shelf life, and we have two of them we just got in the last month, two separate HOs. So um, mm. now we have that necessary precondition in place uh, and we can go back to focusing on the other events, the other, the other indicators, the other patterns, and so on, to keep an eye on when um, the, the most damage could happen this autumn. If we sort of, it sort of looks to me like it's sort of a bipolar market. It's a market that is without conviction in either direction, tugging and pulling in both directions. Michael Oliver was talking a little while ago about how when you have these major changes, like we've seen gold sort of meandering around the bottom here for a protracted period of time, that the S&P and the Dow hasn't really gone anywhere new, anywhere significant on the upside for quite a while. Is this sort of typical then of these major turns is that you get this sort of tugging and pulling and bipolar nature of a market. People can't make up their minds. That's true. That's true, Jay. That's exactly right. Um, do you have a prediction as to where the Dow and the S&P might finish this year? you have some, some targets in mind? 
I don't because, uh, you know, my thinking is that we're going to see uh, a stair-step decline between now and the, year, the end of the year, um, and I think that it'll start out with relatively mild declines followed by bounces. But at some point this autumn, I'm looking for a significant decline, maybe a crash, probably a crash, uh, and then uh, there will be a bounce. So by the time you get to December 31st, if we're in one of those bounce phases, you know, that gives you a completely different price target than uh, if we were at the lows, which could appear the lows for the year could happen in the middle of October rather than in, in December. Sure. So um, yeah. it's hard to give a number for year-end, but I do think we're going to see a decline, I think, at least 15%, possibly much greater over the next uh, six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, and I, I kind of feel that the September-October period, as it usually is, is the, the most uh, fragile period of time, the most likely possibility of a time when things could fall apart. Do you have any idea, any uh, any theory as to why that's true? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I try to look for uh, rational, rational reasons, and I couldn't find anything. The only thing I've ever found, which is interesting, is that it's the biblical period of the Shemitah, Shemitah year, mm-hmm. every seven years. It's a, it's a, it's a biblical, in the Jewish calendar, uh, Shemitah year, and that happens to be in the autumn, in the, in the, yeah. in the Jewish fall feasts. Uh-huh. And so that's the only thing I could find, and that doesn't really, it's not a secular answer, but I don't see any other, other reason to mm-hmm. come up with an answer why it's always in the autumn. All right, we got only about five minutes left. I want to ask you uh, gold and precious metals because you've been suggesting that gold has been in a bottoming pattern uh, and you've been talking about a bullish declining wedge pattern. Talk to us about that. Why is that a bullish pattern and, and why do you think uh, things are going to be better for gold bulls in the near term? Yeah, gold is finishing a, a, a declining bullish wedge, which is a convergence of uh, tops and bottoms. Uh, and it just looks like a wedge you'd stick under your door to leave a door open. And mm-hmm. um, what it means is that selling is being met by increasing buying as time progresses. The lower the price tries to go, uh, the, the resistance is there, the, the support is there, and, 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 the, and the buying is increasing. So, and that pattern looks complete or very close to it. I think gold's going to turn around soon, and uh, I think mining stocks will do the same as will silver. They're all kind of in the same type of pattern. Uh, you talked about the commitment of traders recently as a sign of bullishness for you. Explain that to our listeners, if you would, please. Yeah, the commitment of traders is a, is, a, uh, is, is data that tracks uh, futures and options positions uh, in gold, uh, and it attracts commercials, which are basically your insiders, the the, 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 the companies that own and produce gold, and then you have the um, speculators, which could be hedge funds and that kind of thing, and the the speculators are usually always wrong at turns, and they're very heavy, uh, long futures right now, I mean, very light long futures, they're very heavy short futures, and whenever you've seen that over the past uh, couple decades, uh, it usually means that gold's about to bottom and turn up. So we have uh, commercials that are long, we have speculators that are short. And what's going to happen is uh, once the, the market turns, once gold selling exhaust and it starts turning up, you're going to see a uh, gale wind force of short covering 
by speculators, the very people that were most bearish about gold, will suddenly be the ones buying it. And that will produce a buying uh, a wind for behind, behind gold and get it rolling. Then I think the stock market crash or, or trouble, plunge, whatever you want to call it, coming this fall, gold safe haven uh, appeal will kick in, and that will add more buying for gold. And then as the economy starts falling apart, which should be evident by the end of this year, the Fed will probably turn reverse course and have to start printing money again because that's their solution to everything. Sure. And that will mean that the, the economy's the, the currency is going to be devalued, which is good for gold. Gold will then rise, rise on that as well. Uh, well, it, it, certainly, it certainly makes sense. You've been talking about $1,400 gold. Is that still sort of what you're looking at as a possibility before the end of the year? I think that the real possibility, as long as we get the plunge I'm expecting in the stock market, yes, I could see that easily. And uh, silver outperformed gold on the upside. It, it generally does. It seems when the when the um, when the sector turns bullish. That is when the precious metals turn bullish. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it depends on how what kind of you know geopolitical crises we see worldwide that come along with this plunge. Is there going to be an Iran? Uh, Israel war, what, is there going to be some kind of war in the Middle East or so on, Russia gets involved or whatever? Uh-huh. How much fear is out there could be, that could push gold higher than silver? Well, uh, Robert, you're talking about some things that are, that are cataclysmic. Um, I think you've used the term cataclysmic nation-changing event uh, being the stock market decline. It's not hard for me to fathom uh, what happens to society. Uh, can you paint a picture in about a minute? Uh, what do you think might, might occur here, and, and what, how should people be planning uh, as this uh, thing unfolds? It's really hard to tell people how to plan. Uh, I think they have to evaluate the risks and look at their own position and try to figure that out. Uh, but I see political change. I see uh, nation-changing uh, politics. Uh, does the United States uh, and Europe, do they, do they unite? Do they unite with the same currency and drop their, the euro and the dollar? Um, could there be an invasion of the Middle East by Russia that seems to be on the, a little interested in, in flexing their military muscles right now? How much conflict will there be between Israel and Iran? I just think there's a lot of these kind of uh, geopolitical... Because wars, ha- I've showed in my book, happen after each one of these patterns, these jaws of death patterns. War happens each time. So I, I expect war, and I expect that's going to change the politics and then the finances and economies of, of, of the entire global the global uh, picture here. Okay, Robert, we're going to have to leave it go at that because we are out of time, regrettably. But, uh, folks, check out Robert's uh, website again, technicalindicatorindex.com, technicalindicatorindex.com. Very reasonable subscription price. Uh, Go there, subscribe to this man's work. It is excellent. It is uh, uh, tremendous amounts of it and good, easy to uh, comprehend. So please go there. Do yourself and your family a favor. Thank you very much, Robert, for being with me again, and I look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future. Thank you, well, folks, that's all the time we have next week. I'm going to be talking to Dave Kranzler, hedge fund manager, and uh, Michael Oliver, too, uh, I presume. So uh, uh, be sure to tune in again next week. Uh, until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 